This episode of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike is brought to you by Dream Symbols, manufacturers of handmade, hand-hammered symbols at very affordable prices. So please follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for at Dream Symbols and check them out. What is up, everyone? Welcome into episode 134 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. This fine beat that you are listening to right now is brought to us by Mr. John Talley. And if you want to have your beat played in the intro or the outro, you got to send it to us at mdinfo@moderndrummer.com. We've got an awesome episode for you today, and once Mike and I get all caught up, we're going to talk about our favorite ways to practice moving singles around the drum set. Our featured artist this time is Sun Lux's Ian Chang. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out two amazing Canopus snare drums. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. What's up with the Cheetos on the side of the screen? didn't work it's a chamois it's a Uh, chamois (laughs) if you guys only knew what it's like to experience uh mike's neuroses as he tries to to make his webcam look better i currently have a chamois covering half of my screen but not blocking the camera to keep the backlight from causing a silhouette goodness goodness gracious what's up dude the good thing is the sun is shining that's the good thing that's great. Congrats. <laughs> yeah, we're down you to You made about, it to work today. We're down about 18 inches of snow left. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. When, uh, normally, when does that all kind of go away? What time of the year? <sighs> April, I think it might be the, the last hurrah. I mean, I think we're even due okay. for another storm next week. I mean, it's it's been, wow. winter's been going into March further and further. I don't ever remember getting snow at the end of March growing up, but maybe. Mm-hmm. I just don't remember. Anyway, right. I'm sick of it. But how about that beat from John? <laughs> <laughs> how about that uh, travel intro beat? Uh, that was awesome. Uh, I, I, I'm blown away. Every one of these grooves that our listeners submit, I just think, like, uh, how lucky are we to have amazing drummers as listeners? And yeah. the fact that they take the time to do this. And I hope that our listeners, more than anything, grow from making these intro beats because maybe some of them have never played by themselves and played the same beat for two minutes before. Or or maybe they've just never had the pressure to think, uh-oh, a couple thousand drummers are going to hear this beat. That's a whole different level, too. You know? Yeah, I think we can take full credit for all of them being awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I would say most of these people were horrible at this instrument until they started listening to the podcast. I think yeah. so. I think Agreed. so. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, if you guys need anything else, email us at MDinfo. <laughs> so what did he say he did? So he created that loop. Um, paste, he said he had I recorded two beginning loops and pasted them together. And he likes to do that for practicing um, instead of a click, which I can completely relate to. I almost never totally. practice to a click anymore. Isn't uh, that what you made your entire Instagram channel about? Yeah, pretty much. 100%. <laughs> it's like, make a loop. It's in time. Why don't I play to this? It's more yeah. fun than a beep. Yep, and he's using a Gretsch Catalina 18-inch kick drum, uh, Ludwig 13- and 16-inch toms, a Rogers Power Tone snare, which, if that's the chrome over brass, I have that drum as well, and it's awesome. Um, and he's got Istanbul Agop 21-inch Mel Lewis ride, which I also have and is awesome. And he has Agop 14-inch hi-hats, which I do not have, but sound awesome. 
<laughs> I love it. That's a that's an eclectic kit right there. Let's let's just go ahead and say that uh, good old John Talley, he's he's about about mixing it up a little bit because you've got a Gretsch kick, Ludwig Toms, Roger Snare, Agop cymbals. Yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. And so, big toms um, and a little kick drum. I dig that. <laughs> he's got three toms. One just lays on its side. <laughs> right. Exactly. I can relate to that for sure. That's I just cool. did a Very session cool. today where or I finished it yesterday. Where I was using my bop kit, it's not a it's not a jazz song, it's not a fusion song, it's a singer songwriter country alternative kind of thing. Eighteen okay. inch bass drum, twelve and fourteen inch toms, and a fifteen inch snare drum and twelve inch hi hats, and it was perfect for wow. the track. It was it was really? a strange setup, but it was just perfect. Uh, it's all reason. that matters, right? Yeah. All that matters is that it works for the track. I should probably take a photo of it just to document it. But I didn't want him to see it because I think he'd be like, uh, nah, you can't use that. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, don't let him know. You know what? We're going to get into it later. But when I was watching the uh, the demos you did for the Canopus snare drums, mm-hmm. dude, I, I was kind of thinking, do you need anything more than a 10? <laughs> like... <laughs> It went as low as it needed to go. It went as high as it needed to go. Like, there's no way. By the time that you're at the low tuning, if you just put one piece of gaff or a little gel on it, there's no way anyone would know that was a 10. But no. No. when you were cranked up, uh, and it almost had like the way uh, Terry Angoli's snare sounds uh, with Stefan Harrison Blackout, but it, it can crank up to a marching snare yeah, totally. and pass that, and like yeah. a little pipe drum snare. And then, but it can go low. So, so yeah, don't let the singer songwriter see the kit. Let him hear it and be like, "Oh man, what'd you do? Borrow some old school fifteen inch hi hats?" Like, yes, that's what I did. It's a forty six inch bass drum. Yep. And uh, yeah, don't worry heads about it. On it. Yeah, it's all good. Yep. Some chains rattling around. Nope. Twelve inch <laughs> Zildjian hi hats from the sixties. <laughs> Love it. Love it, man. That's awesome. What else is going on in your world, bud? Uh, that's about it. I'm now finally coming up from air from all the other stuff. Still prepping for a couple of clinics. I've got the one next week for anyone nice. who's in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. I'm at Sound Mind Studio next Saturday or two Saturdays from now with a 20. I'm so bad, man. Wow. Talk about <laughs> that was that was penance right there. 20 30th, 31st, the 31st. I'm at uh, Sound Mind Studio in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, two to four. I'm confused. So the 20 has nothing to do with the year. You were trying to say the 20th, and then you eventually said the 30th? The 31st. Okay. March 31st, like, two I will be there on 2031st. <laughs> like, what? So anyway, what? I'm preparing my stuff for that. I obviously don't have my stuff together, but I'm getting there. Um, what else? You know what? You don't need to know when it is or where it is. You just need to know the material yeah. the day of you can figure out all the other details so but i have a question have about clinics now. sure i'm because i've got a you know, string of them coming up and they're all semi-related but i know it's going to be a different type of person attending each one mm-hmm. i'm thinking i'm going to prepare kind of a syllabus that would be a bunch of things and then when i get there and i assess who's there i can kind of say okay i'm going to focus on this more or focus on that more and not try to do yeah. the same hour presentation at every one of them no i mean i th- i think that when you try to repeat it it gets canned and people can tell that the jokes are stale or the lines are stale or no matter what's happening in the room you've already predetermined we're going this way that would be as a since you're a professional drummer that would be the same as predetermining 
your fills before you've even heard the track. Right. No matter what happens, this is going down. That's I personally don't like doing it that way. So for me, there's a bunch of stuff that I want to teach because I'm excited about it. That's one thing that's really important, and I've learned that through my clinics is – I can't just teach what I think the crowd is going to enjoy. I have to teach what I'm excited about because my passion is what will get them on board more Mm. than anything else. So I teach the stuff I'm excited about, but all of it is flexible. And I decide, okay, looks like we have a lot of people that turned up that aren't even musicians. These are just people that wanted to see this event. Now I'm going to make it more relatable to maybe the struggles of learning. I'm still going to use the same content to teach, but I'm going to, I'm going to relate it to life in general so that everyone gets something out of this. Or if I'm at somewhere like PASIC, it's like, cool, I can go full drum nerd because everyone in the room is a drummer. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so the, the material, you know, I, I don't really have the mental capacity to have like 40 separate clinics on tap, but Everything that I teach is completely flexible in the moment based off the people that are there and based off of the vibe in the room. The one thing I don't do, though, and I would caution you against this because I've just seen it go really bad, is I wouldn't ask the crowd what they want to know because they don't know what they want to know. And the only one that's going to speak up is the guy that you know is like, I want to know double kick. (laughs) Okay, well, I've got a bop kit here, so clearly you're in the wrong room. And so... uh, I never ask them. It's just this is going on, but maybe what they don't know is how flexible everything is. Um, I definitely know how I'm going to start and how I'm going to end because those are the two things. The way you start a clinic instills confidence in the audience and lets everyone know, okay, this person is clearly prepared, and now I can relax and just enjoy the presentation as an audience member. And then I know how I'm going to get out because there's nothing worse than giving a 45 minutes of kick-ass information and performance. And then you fizzle out and go, well, I guess that's it. And then they kind (laughs) of clap a little and it's just awkward. And you're like, damn, that was going so well. So I I know how I'm going to start and I know how I'm going to end every time. Where do you put questions into your mix? It's before the final performance. Because you can't end a clinic on a question. Yeah, I've seen that so that's many times. Like, oh, that's I'm another out of time. awkward clock. Thank you. See ya. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I've got my clock. I always have a clock on stage somewhere. It's never in my pocket where I have to pull it out. There's always either my iPad or my phone is on the ground, and I make sure to turn my settings on my phone to never time out. I'm I'm willing to lose my battery for the day just yeah. so that I can have a good timer. So I have a timer. And I wrap up the questions with eight minutes left to go. And then I have a final performance and they clap and I walk out to applause. And then it it has the feeling of like, cool, this thing has concluded. And we know as an audience, we can get up and leave. It's over. Yeah. Now, all right. One last question about clinics. Do you still value printouts? Not in clinics, but... I do in master classes. So that's my decision that I have to make too. Am I teaching a master class or am I teaching a clinic? So I would say there's no printouts as soon as we surpass 50 people. I'd say around 30 and under, I've got printouts and we can get deep with, with some topics. But once I'm at, if I'm doing 250 people, no, it's, it just needs to be a little bit more performance based. The other thing too, in clinics is a lot of people, and God, you and I have been to a million clinics as um, audience members. We kind of want to feel like whatever they're talking about, we're, we're part of the journey. And we're like, oh, yeah, totally. I get it. When we really know in our hearts, please don't call on me and pull me up there to do that because <laughs> I can't do that. But we don't, So it's like 
without the printout or, or anything like that, we get the freedom as audience members just to say like, yeah, totally, I'm with you. And mm. that's what I want my audience to feel. And it's like, okay, now if you really want to find out if you could do this, you can come to one of my camps. You can come to a master class that I'm doing tomorrow that's only 20 people. But, you know, the, the point of a clinic is it's like going to the movies for drummers. They want to have fun. They want to be entertained. And they don't want to leave there hating themselves, you know? Yeah, that's kind of – I mean, I, I can't do the, um, you know – Guns blazing, machine gun, you know, good luck catching up <laughs> clinic. Right. That's not my vibe. And if anyone asked me to do that, I would politely decline. But I also don't want it to be so heady. So, you know, I'm just trying to find the balance. I don't, and I, yeah. The ones I've done most recently, I've played three or four songs. That seem to be a good balance. Um, but then the teaching stuff in the middle, I it just depends. Sometimes I'm like, man, I didn't have enough time or I'm trying to do too much. So anyway, I'm right. all sussing it out. It's, it's a new year of me focusing yeah, on man. this, which is cool. It'll be great. I mean, it's... Giving a clinic is a skill, and luckily you have skills that you've learned. So you have to you have to go back in time and remember. Well, even though you knew that double strokes were just right, right, left, left, it wasn't just knowing it. You had to do it, and you had to put in the hours. You're going to have to put in the hours of doing clinics and preparing for them, so that you know what works, and you find a system, and eventually you breathe a little bit easier because you know, okay, it always works out. But but if I do it this way, it really works. The one thing that I've really enjoyed in the last two years. And maybe it's just because I finally have a band to play in is I like playing a track and then whatever I teach is based off of either what just happened or what's about to happen so that there's always a practical application link. So I might even just play a track for just to walk out. There's clapping. I play a track and then that is left in the past and it's done. Then I start teaching something. And then at the end of that teaching, that five to ten minutes, it's like, now let me show you what all of this hard work and preparation does. Here it is in a practical application. This song is called Whatever. And listen for what I just taught you because it will show up. So I guess I should just teach quarter notes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Hey, Peter Erskine did at the the London Drum Show and everyone gave him a standing ovation. They were like, ah, dang it, I still can't play quarter notes. <laughs> anyway, how's your new kit settling in? Are you best oh friends now? Oh, my God. You, bro, it's just like Juno, my female dog. Like, for the first two years of her life, she was my dog and Jack was my son. <laughs> and then, I don't know what happened. About a year and a half ago, something clicked between us and she's daddy's girl. Like, we are inseparable. And so when I first got the kit, it was the same thing. Like, I could see, like, you are a superior instrument, but we don't know each other yet. Mm. And now, holy hell, we yeah. are inseparable. That's I, that's so that's daddy's little girl too. We're gonna find your uh, Brooklyn kit and your <laughs> broadcaster My broadcaster kit on eBay here. <laughs> no, 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 no. So so now what it is is in the private lesson room in the exact same sizes, uh twenty twelve fourteen, there's the Brooklyn and my broadcaster. Mm-hmm. So what's cool is now in the exact same sizes, all the exact same heads, mostly the same tuning, now our campers can go from USA Custom to Brooklyn to Broadcaster and really see if they can hear a difference. And I would say what they'll notice the most is that they will feel a difference. Right, right. There is a feeling um, for sure. And one of them will feel like your kit. And uh, I think that's really cool. So, uh, So, yeah. So I'm loving the kit. Everything's good. I'm writing the 2018 camp book right now, and I'm freaking jazzed. <laughs> Holy hell. Wow. Those, I'm kick, so those excited. kick in soon? Yeah. I'm, I start in the end of April. 
Okay. I thought it was the end of March. And since I have to write like a 60-page book for each uh, year. Nice. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, this is year eight. So we've done a little – we've done 70 camps so far. This will do 80 by the end of this year. And so this is the seventh camp book that I've had to write. And it is different, so completely different than anything I've ever taught before. And I'm so ju- juiced on it. So. Well, I'll tell you the specifics off air because <laughs> I don't want our campers to get a heads up. And they're like, oh, so all I have to practice is 9-8? Done. 9-8. Yep, that's all you got to practice. Get the work, kids. Yeah, because <laughs> this is the 9-8 camp. We're only playing everything in 9-8. <laughs> I, just, I just want to discourage people from signing up the next year. So it's like, all right, whole camp in 9-8. No, the, um, the impractical camp is what it is. Actually, this, this is the camp that uh, we're calling it – uh, down the rabbit hole we go. That's the theme of this camp. So it's, I will say that it's extremely simple topics and very few of them, but going deeper with them than you ever thought you could go. Nice. So, yeah, man. So it should be fun. All right. You want to talk about going down the rabbit hole with some single strokes? Let's do it. Why am I yelling? <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> I love single strokes. Oh, man. Single strokes. Yes. So, man, I just had a complete mental breakdown for a second there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Did you you forget what comes after right? Because it's left. No, I could tell you were like... That's the rudiment. You were like setting it up like, go ahead, Mike, talk. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know what I was actually thinking about was because you're talking about, you know, this landmark with your camps. And I'm looking at our stats like, well, I think we're getting close to a million downloads here. Oh, that's awesome! So I just opened Thank you, up, everyone. Yeah, I just opened up our stats to kind of see when. It, not quite there, but we're getting there. So cool! We'll have to do maybe a, maybe a contest for the one millionth download episode. How silly is it that we're on episode one hundred thirty four? We've done one hundred thirty four hours of this. Not well. We've done a lot more than that because of all the ones that we've messed up, but. We still have no idea about podcasting at all because you and I hand it off to someone else. So we know nothing. I'm like, million downloads. Is yeah. that good? What's I don't know. Mean? I mean, yeah. It, it definitely I have shows no reference. We have a very select audience, which is awesome because, I mean, Joe Rogan's getting 10 million per episode. It's a little humbling. Well, that's not bad. That's not bad. He's doing all right. He's got, but he has real sponsors, right? Uh, yeah. Like, <clears throat> like Ford. Now wait a minute. Don't be talking talking. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Easy. I love I love the drum industry. I'm just saying there's Minel Symbols, who I'm endorsed by, and then there's Ford. It's a different <laughs> right. level. It's a different level. Anyway, let's get out of that hole. Uh, there is an article <laughs> in the April issue that's called Developing the Single Stroke Role. That, if you haven't seen it, is just a good like practice pad approach to I think there's one, two, three, four, five, six, eight different exercises using groupings of three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Real simple. I think that'd be a good like before the gig or daily routine. But I wanted to take it one step further and talk about what do we do when we want to put this stuff on the drum set? Because mm-hmm. I find, especially now that I teach a few children, the question always is why? Paradiddle, why? That's always yeah. the first thing that comes up. Single stroke And it roll, should be the why? question. Yeah, um, and I know I did a bunch of things early on, and I, I probably should revamp. But um, one thing that I like to do is take a grouping threes, so it'd be right, left, right, left, right, left, and I have to move them to a different drum on every three. 
So yeah. I'll, then I'll pick like go down the kit, which is going to be awkward because there's going to be some crossovers and stuff. Then I'll go up the kit. Now are I'll, you are you putting a rest in there? Are you playing one end or are you playing as triplets? No, like it's just just threes. No. Uh, I mean, it could be triplets. It could just be threes. Okay. No, no but there's no separation. Pulse. No separation. It's a constant right. single stroke roll, but every every third note it has to move. And I go from like extreme, like hi hat to floor tom, or down the kit and have all those awkward movements to deal with. Well, I mean that that exercise. I think the first time I saw that being taught was in uh, Thomas Lang's uh, first DVD, uh, Creative Control is what it was called. I think. Yes. And he has, you know, a huge drum set. And one thing that's really tough is when you're playing groups of four, it's always leading you to the right of the kit. And eventually you run out of drums and you can't go anymore without switching to left hand lead. But if you do groups of three, if you start three on your floor tom, you'll notice if you just play right, left, right, your left hand will be in the air. Now you can go anywhere to the left of the kit that you want. Like you said, jump to the hi-hat. And then it's left, right, left. Now your right hand's in the air. You can jump anywhere to the right of the kit or down to the snare. And it's it's a really great, great way to fly around the kit and not do what I call the around the world thing where you just constantly go dugga 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 And so it really breaks up the drum set. I love groupings of three. Now, let me ask you something just because you mentioned – uh, the three, four, five, six, and seven in the article. I haven't seen the article. It, are there breaks? Because what I'm, I, I guess what I would want to ask you is, how many notes does it take for you to consider it a single stroke roll? He's um, well. To answer the first part of the question, he does a measure of just one hand, so threes in each hand, and then okay. a whole measure of single strokes with the accent where that three pulse is, or four with okay. one hand, and then a whole measure of 30-second notes accent in every fourth note of the okay. right hand or left hand, whichever one you start with. So gotcha. for me to think of it as a single-stroke roll, I think it needs to be fast. It needs to be the fastest subdivision that, that, that I think would be comfortable and more than one pulse for me to consider it. Okay. A, like, I don't think slow triplets to go an entire measure, I wouldn't call that a single-stroke roll. Right. I would, I would think 30-second notes to go one beat as a single-stroke roll. So if you did a nine-stroke roll as singles, that's a single-stroke roll, right. right? If they're thirty-second notes, but if you did a nine-stroke roll as, as eighth notes, then yeah, I wouldn't. Right. I wouldn't think of it as that. So one by Metallica. Yeah, I would think of that as a single-stroke, single-stroke roll. Um, so uh, darkness. <laughs> so, so yeah. So I, I I feel the same. I feel like three is not enough. Like if I go. I don't consider that a single stroke roll. No. I do consider groupings and a single stroke roll slightly different thing, meaning a single five. Mm. I don't I don't really think of that as a single stroke roll, even though it's a single stroke roll in groupings of five. But I think of a single stroke roll, like you said, needs to be a little bit longer, maybe a full beat all the way. Like a nine would be my minimum to really, in my mind, think of it as a single stroke roll. Now, as far as moving around the kit, Here's one thing that I love to do, especially for those of you that have one up and one down. Play, it's groupings of six. Once again, just like Mike said, don't think of it in subdivisions. It's just groupings of six. But play your first right hand on the snare drum and then your first left hand on the rack tom. So you're just splitting the two, uh, the first two notes, snare, rack. Then you're going to come to the right and play four singles on the floor tom. So you have snare, rack, floor, 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 floor. So you've gone to the right. Now you need to get back to the left. You're going to play... 
Now you're going to split the first two notes of the next six with floor, rack, and then come back to the snare. So it's snare, rack, floor, 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 rack, snare, 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 rack, floor, 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 rack, snare, 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 snare. And it'll allow you to go all over the kit. And then the other thing that I do with that is with a metronome, I do it as as sextuplets or 16th note triplets. Then at the end of every six, I put a bass drum and I do it as septuplets. Then at the mm. end of every bass drum, I do two bass drums and do it as 32nd notes. And I do all of that with a metronome so that I'm squeezing a six into the beat, then a seven, then an eight. I dig that. So you start at sixes. You don't go any slower than that, though. Correct. Yeah. I mean, you could do it as 16th. You know, you could, but I'm I'm trying to warm myself up on the kit. That's one of my I have a um, course on the site called Drum Set Warm Ups, and that's one of them because when I get to a clinic um, or especially a drum festival, drum festivals a lot of times they've already set up my kit for me and it's on this little rolling riser and I barely get to adjust it a little bit. That warm-up is so important because the angles of the drum set are inevitably different than what I'm used to. And that warm-up, if I do that for four to five minutes, it'll allow me to hit a couple rims and go, oh, that's right, this one's a little different. And maybe I drop a stick or two. Well, that would have happened when I was blazing a solo later in the night. So I love that exercise. Take it. It's, yeah, man. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting that you. I mean, I, I guess I practice that way as well of, of finding the the route that makes the most logical sense. Whereas right. I I I'd spend a lot of time forcing myself to do the illogical movements. Okay. Which so I would go down the kit with twos, starting with the right, but then I would force myself to go up in twos, starting with the but right, but still leading with the right, still leading with the right, and that Whoa. that really, I mean, it's I was doing that just as a an exercise, but I'm finding when I'm when I'm playing in the in the heat of the moment, I'm like I've got to get over there really quickly. Since right. I've practiced those movements, I can I can do it a lot better. Ooh, that's tough as shiplap. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is seriously. I almost had no my joke. finger on the sensor button. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Dropping a little funky primer on you. Um, oh, yeah, I'm goodness. learning now. I, I've got like nine different cuss words get me out of trouble for my YouTube life. So um, shiplap. <laughs> <laughs> it it works every time. There's shiitake mushrooms and shiplap. Both of those get me out of trouble when I'm about to drop a sh bomb. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I think that that's really important. And you know, another thing because we haven't gotten to our quota of Mark Juliana drops lately. Uh, <laughs> in his book, he has a really really great chapter on orchestration and movement, and just saying, okay, if you were playing groups of four, doesn't matter four or two, even like you did. Can you move from this surface to this surface? There's all these arrows uh, from like, yeah. what about from this surface to this right, surface? Right. And um, and still making it musical and dynamic. And the one thing that you probably had to go through, because I have done that um, stuff that you did. I, I definitely did it with twos and fours. Hated it. But one thing that I noticed is when you're struggling that hard, your dynamics go out the window. And oh, you yeah. start playing yeah. loud and blocky. <laughs> yeah. And so to really focus on your dynamics during a physically difficult exercise is super important. Yeah, totally. And I, for me, it was a lot of like focusing on how is my limb moving because it can become such a physical thing where if you kind of let right. it float, I found it, and, and figure out what's your fulcrum going to do. Your hand might have to turn almost upside down to make the floor yes, tom to rack tom motion. Yep. So yeah, and I mean, so. I, I remember seeing um, 
Dennis doing stuff like that when he was doing his sweeps, you know, and I thought, yeah. oh, he didn't even move. He just flipped his wrist over. Yeah. Um, here's another tip for all of y'all out there. Practicing singles, I, we get it. Mike and I are no stranger to how boring it can be when you're not into it emotionally. But one thing that seems to always help me is turn off your snares. All of a sudden, the whole kit becomes melodic, and the singles all blend into each other. And it's not this like tom and then extremely aggressive snare thing. They all the whole kit just starts to sing, and it's a lot more fun. Put on your favorite song and just commit to like okay, from the beginning of the song to the end of the song, I'm only going to play single strokes at whatever subdivision fits the song, and just move around, and you'll you'll start to have a lot more flow on the instrument for sure. Yeah, dig it. All right, so you want to move on? Where are we at? Did we talk about signal strokes enough? We are at um, my dog. Your dog? This is, <laughs> yeah, not my real dog, but this is... So I don't know if you remember, but about six or seven months ago, my pick of the week was a video by Ian Chang's band, Sunlux, yeah, yep. that he did with Woodkid. And remember, I was like, this kid's like 14. And yeah. you're like, I'm pretty sure he's like 25 <laughs> or something. And I'm like, whatever. He's amazing. He's, he's my new favorite drummer. I didn't really know until probably three or four months ago when I started following on on Instagram just what he was doing and how he's making a name for himself mm-hmm. in New York. And it was like, oh, this dude's like a legit artist. Yeah. Yeah, so Ian and Chang is his name. We haven't said it yet. Yep. <laughs> I did. I said it quick. I did. When, I, when we were talking about my dog, yeah, <laughs> my dog Ian Chang. So my he's guy. in he's in a band Sunlux, and that was well. The, I think the video that you pulled was a collaboration with someone else, right? It was, it was Sunlux, Woodkid. Woodkid. Yeah, it was Sunlux and Woodkid. Yeah. So the band is Sunlux, and I think it, the just core a is a trio. Yeah, they started adding some horns and stuff, but they just put a new album out called Brighter Wounds. Mm. Uh, we did like a short story with him in the April issue about that, but I've been listening to it a bunch, and it's really cool it's hard to tell what they did in production what's live um you know what's played what's programmed and for me that's incredibly intriguing like, i totally agree it's super um, cool and he's in if and we we reviewed the sensory percussion uh you can what do you call them i can't even describe them they're not triggers they're you know whatever electronic processing devices devices. (laughs) yeah yeah it turns your drum set into a midi instrument and he's kind of like their guy he's doing the most Well, he's taken it as far as he's turned it into it's not a gimmick it's his instrument yeah he did a whole solo record um i think the solo record is called called spiritual leader spiritual leader so in the show notes and also on moderndrummer.com we have a video that he gave us the post where he's playing He's basically playing an improvised solo, but he's using the sensory percussion instrument to make it sound like it doesn't sound like drums at all, which is really cool. It's incredible. It's incredible. Um, I mean, and I just, I remember seeing that first video, which drew my attention to him and to uh, his band. I remember when I saw that, I was like, man, this cat goes in. Like he was so deep into the, to the performance and the music. And just emotionally, he was so connected to it that I just, I just thought, wow, this is really cool. And he was playing this mix of like he was kind of rocking, but he was also dropping little quest loveisms and yeah. little, a lot of electronic you know, just sounding little, things. Yeah, it was just crazy. And then I'm like, hey, wait, is he triggering the the French horns? Is he what's he triggering? And it, you know, I just knew right away, okay, this is like a legit drummer and a legit musician. And then when I heard Spiritual Leader. It took me a little while to be like, oh, my gosh, 
I don't think these are songs. I think he did this whole thing with sensory percussion. Yeah, and it's all improvised. It's all live performance. Unreal. And by the way, you guys can just check that out. Go to um, – we're not done yet by any means because I want to keep talking about them. But ianyhchang.bandcamp.com, and you can listen to Spiritual Leader there. And it's quite incredible for sure, man. And the, um, the Sunlux really new album is also on their Bandcamp page. So Sunlux is the Bandcamp page. You can listen to the whole record. Um, the one track that really caught me, what the heck was it called? I'll find it. It he's because he can do like that, that kind of spliced up Jay Dilla kind of stuff really, really yeah. well. He can also play like really sparse. There's a good video actually I found this morning. They did the NPR Tiny Desk concert. Yeah. So to see like this is what they actually do when they're just playing music with no technology, that Pretty was cool. equally as impressive. Like he can he can kind of manufacture reverse delay like reverbs and all that kind of stuff on the kid right. really really. he's big. amazing and i mean i love the fact that you know born and raised in hong kong and then where are you gonna move to just try to take a crack at it new york <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good luck bro and he crushes it and now he's got a following and he and he found a great band and he's doing all these great things and it's like wow that that's just incredible i mean and i love the fact too that you know, two. It's only been two years since he started messing around with the sensory percussion stuff, and in that time, like I said, it's not a gimmick for him. He's found a way to make it his instrument and record a solo album with it. It's yeah, really it's kind of his, his pretty vibe. incredible. So I was trying. Can to we? Think, um, oh, go ahead. Uh, you want to drop in some audio? I was going to say I would love for them to hear some of the spiritual leader stuff just so they can hear what he's doing with sensory percussion. Yeah, so we'll drop in the audio from the clip that's on moderndrummer dot com. We'll check out a little bit of it right now. So that audio that you guys just heard, that's not even from the album. That's literally a live show. Yep. That's exactly. a direct feed from probably from his sensory percussion. I don't know. What does it come out of your laptop, I'm assuming? Yeah. What's the yeah. out? Yeah, it goes in. I would assume he's just he's recording right into Ableton Live probably. Right. Um, and, and so but, that that was live. That's incredible. And that's totally, not totally different, but quite different than Sunlux, which I was kind of beating myself up to figure out how to describe that band, which again... I love that fact that I can't describe it. I yeah. think it, the best way I could think of describe it was like you've got the kind of experimental electronic world of, you know, who do we think of? Jojo Mayer and Nerve or something like that. Sure. Mix that with the high art and intellect of David Bowie and then throw mm-hmm. some of the dramatic melody epicness of like uh, Arcade Fire or something like that. Nice. That's about as that's about as accurate as I could. Do you come mind up if with. I sprinkle a little Portishead on top of that? Yeah, yeah, right. Because there's some trip hop and all that in there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's 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 a good band. And I mean, those are the best bands. That that's the uh, the dream for some musicians is to not be able to categorize their music. Yeah, I dig um, it. I mean, I could see them touring with Saint Vincent, and it would be like totally. Well, that's pairing. yeah. I mean. PJ Harvey, Portishead, St. Vincent, all that stuff mm-hmm. that's just like extremely artistic. Get a crowd that is willing to accept the art rather than just let it bounce off them, and right. you're going to do just fine. But yeah, Sunlux is great. 
and uh, spiritual leader. Uh, his solo project is fantastic. So check that stuff out. And most importantly, just follow Ian Chang. You can find him on Instagram and he puts up really cool clips of stuff and it's very artistic and inspiring. I'm definitely a fan. Uh, all right. Enough fanboy stuff. So <laughs> do we have to talk about our sponsor? We probably should. Yes, we do. This is Dream is, is our sponsor for this week. So thank them once again. Uh, I, I re, rekindled my appreciation for their energy series this week because I, I reposted our video that I, I demoed for the magazine a couple months ago. And those are like just really good sounding all purpose symbols. They're kind of, you know, because a lot of Dream stuff is really thin, kind of trashy. The energy series, which my original thought would be these are like the heavy kind of rock symbols, they're actually just like medium all purpose can do anything kind of symbol so if you're looking for something in that type of a sound but still has a bit of that you know kind of that vibey trashy character check out the energy series by dream so let's talk about something uh you've definitely through this podcast gotten me on board with canopus did i say that right canopus yes yeah uh i i am now officially on board with the fact that they make masterful drums uh they do. this this was the one that kind of blew me away especially this six by ten yeah we'll six. happily say that Not <laughs> oh 10 yeah by six. that's right i didn't even register yeah. that you would change right i'm on board <laughs> yeah um so this six by ten it uh it really blew me away it sounded i remember chasing this sound when i was coming up and, and you know all the high-pitched snare things were cool 311 uh, Limp mm-hmm. Biscuit, uh, no doubt that kind of thing, and I remember chasing the sound. And when you had it cranked, I was like, "God, that's crazy!" That there's no timbali aftertone. You know, there's it's just this really snappy ten. But when you kept tuning it and tuning it and tuning it, it, it blew me away. So, what is this drum? What is it made out of? This is a six by ten shell, and it is stave walnut. So it's a thick stave shell which I think contributes to that kind of density of tone that you wouldn't get if it was a ply shell. Uh, I actually really loved it tuned low. It had like a I know. like a drum machine kind of sound that was just it took up just the right amount of space. It didn't you know, wasn't too big and broad. It just kind of hit real tight but had that deep kind of I mean, it just it sounded really cool. I think if anyone is into playing electronic type sounds on live drums, this is one of the best ones I've ever uh, heard do that so we'll draw i mean this is with no sorry this is with nothing crazy you kept the stock head on i didn't see any did you have any muffling even at the low no coated ambassador no. it's a coated ambassador batter at the uh, canopus just has their logo on it but it is a coated right. ambassador i did put a gel when i got way down to the bottom of the range okay but yeah i mean it, it's it sounds fantastic Do you want to give it a listen so we'll drop in since you mentioned the high sound we'll drop that and the super low sound this is all coming okay. from the same six by ten inch drum
Okay, so for everyone that thought I was crazy earlier in the podcast when I said, do you really need more than a 10-inch snare? That's a pretty wide range, dude. Yeah. I mean, aside from the fact that you do have a limited volume range with a drum that right. small, you can kind of, I mean, in the studio for sure, I think you could get away with that and do just about anything. Yeah, I mean, is, obviously, I think it does the that high thing. What What I love about it is I can get my drums to do the low thing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't own a drum that can do the high thing like that. Right. That's just something special. Yeah. I don't have I to do that too, often, but man, did they right, have of that course. there? I wonder why they chose, uh, what is this, walnut? Or, yeah, it's walnut, yep. I wonder why they chose walnut for the 10. I mean, just, um, you know, they, I, I would assume the size and the wood had to have been, you know, thought about and and they chose it for a reason. I mean, it's a darker, um, kind how of a punchier timber in most cases, so maybe that it just kind of adds to that kind of focused punch. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, we should say that these are Harvey Mason's signature drums. I don't think we've said that yet. Well, yeah, I was just going to ask. I wonder how much Harvey had to do with this as well, if he's really involved in it. Um, signature products can go one of two ways. The artist can come to a company and request that they make something not as a signature product, just as a way for the artist to get the sound they're looking for. I've definitely experienced that myself. And then the other thing can be that the company has already made something and they approach the artist and say, hey, we're about to come out with this. We think it fits you really well. Would you like this to be a signature product? So I wonder how involved Harvey was in this and if he was part of the thing going, you know what, let's try a stave shell. Let's do a six by 10. Let's do yeah, I don't you know, all I, these different things. So That I don't know, but my guess would be he, he probably had some sounds in mind he was looking for and they, they probably just knew how to get it. I mean, thinking his primary gig with, with foreplay, he's playing a lot of beats, so he probably just yeah. wants different colors for the backbeat. Sure. Uh, so this yep. one would be the good one for, you know, that high funky sound. Or I'm not sure how he uses it. I need to see him play and see how he's tuning it. I, I would use it in that low register. I don't. I mean, for yeah. everything, it'd be like that's that's the sound for that spitty kind of punchy snare drum sound. <laughs> Better work on your accuracy. It's a, it's a small little snare drum. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, jump to the complete opposite end of the spectrum as far as visually. This is a 10-inch deep, 14-inch Ash and Poplar drum. Yep. And um, this is, I don't know how to – I really just don't know any other way to, way to say this, but this looks weird between your legs. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I thought like nine different sentences and none of them worked. That's what you're getting. This is a big freaking drum, dog. <laughs> Pull it yourself is. together. I think uh, – I mean what I actually really had a lot of fun was using the 10 by 14 in the floor tom position – the ten, the oh, six by ten sure. in the rack tom position, and then a, a regular snare in the middle. Because Harvey's main drum signature drum is actually a five and a half by fourteen, so these right. two kind of fill out the extremes. Uh, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I did my stand wouldn't quite go low enough to make it comfortable to have it in a normal position. I would probably put it on like a a pearl suspension mount or something and hang it like a tom. Um, yeah. I has, mean, I love the idea of having it where your floor tom is because we've seen so many drummers of recent do that anyways right um, exactly but they're, they're just using usually a six and a half i mean if you have a 10 then you do have technically a floor tom so yeah i mean i guess you're limited with how much of a tom sound you can get because of the bottom head but uh, right. it still sound i mean when i when i had the snares off and i had it more of like a higher jazz type of a vibe for all three drums it sounded like a floor tom it was pretty awesome it's got rounded bearing edges it's got a ply shell so that's definitely a, a fatter sound than the stave shell 10 with really sharp edges so it's kind of the polar opposite 
Um, before we give it a listen, the one thing that I've noticed when you try to do the low, low fat gushy tuning like you did on the 10, and if you do it on a 14 by 5 or a 14 by 5 and a half, one thing that happens is the tone is gone. Now it's just this splat thing. Yeah. Yeah. This drum had tons of tone no matter how low you went. That could be good or bad depending on what you want, but the fact that there were overtones at the lowest tuning with a gel on it, I can only assume that that has to do with the fact that it's 10 inches deep. Probably, which is probably why 5x14 Acrolyte is like one of the best for that super low sound because it's Cause it, yeah, it gets out of the way. It's, it's real done. tight and punchy, but yeah, this this could it put out a lot of sound. I liked kind of having it in that mid-low and playing like kind of old colonial-style marching stuff on it. It was a lot of fun. Nice. Well, let's give it a listen. Yeah, I think I like it best in the medium range, where it really just has a ton of tone and stuff. For me, that was kind of like the sweet spot. Yeah. Um, the one thing that this thing that we've been doing for 134 episodes has taught me is that no matter how deep the drum is, if the drum is made properly, it can still be plenty sensitive. Yeah. I mean, I think if you do any kind of symphonic work, this drum could be a good field drum for, for playing with an orchestra. Like you could get really quiet buzz rolls on it. Really surprising. There is a certain amount of tone that you're going to have to deal with no matter what. Right. Um, but I think maybe if you draped maybe, some felt over it or something, that would really tighten it up. Right. And, I mean, we. it seems like it's so funny. We all are searching for this perfect drum, and we do everything known to man to just mess with it. And then we end up spending the entire time trying to suck all the tone out of the drum so that <laughs> right. it just goes crack. So at some point, once you have your standard snare drum, from that point on, you should probably be looking for drums that have character. Yeah, Where you go sure. like, okay – I'm done with the samples today. Now we're actually going to get a drum that it's not doing the the sampled crack out of the way thing with five gels on it. It's like, dude, this thing has some character and it's going to live. And inside of a mix, it's actually going to change the way the entire mix sounds because this drum lives and breathes. And I think that's cool. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I just love that the companies are going for outside the box kind of sizes these days. Yeah. Super fun. I mean, we the tens kind of existed. You know, gosh. 10, 15 years ago that was the thing and they're kind of making a comeback but the really deep floor tom snares seems to be the everyone's trying to figure out their own angle on that now and I dig it it's really cool yeah it's cool and also both of these Harvey Mason drums are absolutely stunning so uh, go to moderndrummer.com and you can uh, see them there on the product close up but they they are beautiful and also we're giving you a tiny taste of the audio Mike plays these through literally like six or seven tuning ranges so you can really see it's like a full four minute video for each drum so if you're interested check them out there pretty awesome stuff all right you want to get to some listener questions yeah you know i probably should explain that when i do these snare drum tunings once i get them the initial tuning where the head is in tune with itself i then just go all the way up all the way down i don't fine tune so what you're hearing is every quarter turn 
change. So there might be some tunage like, yeah, that doesn't sound great. Well, that's just in between. That's like literally one quarter turn away from where it was before. I didn't gotcha. check any lugs or anything. So I want to just kind of hear, you know, how smooth is the transition from like as high as these things can go to as low as they can go. Right. So I'm not, nice. I'm not necessarily trying to be like, this is the perfect sound at the medium, medium tight tuning. <laughs> gotcha. You know, okay. I'm just kind of going that, through no, the whole range. Uh, which that kind of reveals for me the quality of the drum too. Like if I can do that and never get like a sour spot, then you know yeah. that's a gem. Um, so anyway, let's go to our first. We have two questions that are sort of um, calling back our topic on ghost notes a couple weeks ago. Uh, Richie's first, he's the first question. It was, can you discuss ghost notes? Are they for drummers only? What is the point? Um, um, when you go to concerts, I guess basically his question is, why do we play ghost notes? And then the second okay. question is, um, this is from Tony. He's commenting on our segment about ghost notes, and he says another issue that I think warrants examining is the dynamic level of the ghost notes. So we can expand on that. Sure. Well, uh, I think ghost notes are not only played by drummers. Uh, I remember in my first piano lesson, they had me playing they were calling it grace notes but they were having me play grace notes and i was kind of barely getting one finger in right before it was like a flam almost yeah um and and obviously if i'm playing marimba i'm still going to play it with you know and i mean and bass players that's kind of the the secret sauce for like a really funky bass player is he can play ghost notes literal ghost notes where he's muting the strings but using his plucking finger to get rhythms there you go. So yeah, I think really all that ghost notes do from instrument to instrument is add texture and give depth. Right. Um, as far as the dynamic, well, then the next part of the question: Why do we use them? They can fill out a sound and give if, give a groove. If we're talking about drummers, it can give a groove, depth, and and fullness. Now, there's some times where you really want. I'm thinking like Gravity by John Mayer. You don't want any ghost notes. It's just. And you want space. Yeah. Cha- yeah, space. It would really be bad if it was... <laughs> it no, we don't want that. We want space. So both are valid. It just depends on the, the song choice. Uh, as far as... What was the second question? Uh, discuss the dynamic of ghost notes. He says, I often hear people playing ghost notes at volume that would be considered too loud for the part. It ends up sounding like a constant stream of 16th notes. Yeah, I mean, if, if well, in that case, they're not ghost notes. Um, yeah, they're just ghost notes taps. to me doesn't mean that you play them in between. If you play them, in, if you play a note in between, it's not a ghost note, it's just a note. It's not a ghost note until it's dramatically different than the accent that. Uh, succeeded it or preceded it do you think of it i think of it as you have accent well you have rim shots you have accents you have taps and then you have ghost notes that's kind of how i think of it yep and And i think that i i like grooves i think the reason why i'm drawn to somebody like matt chamberlain is because they use all four of those and they weave them together in this seamless Mm -hmm. fashion um there's almost there's no making sense of it It's, it's just beautiful you just know it when you hear it but it's not – I mean I've, I've clearly never in my mind thought, here comes an accent and you're going to get a ghost and two taps. <laughs> like it's just – I hear this sound in my head and I'm hoping that I've put enough time in on the pad 
and on the instrument to convey that sound through my instrument. Yeah, I think I often, I always try to make my ghost notes, actual ghost notes, it's so quiet that they're almost inaudible. I think that's their function to where it's yeah. it's almost like a implied rhythm. And I practice that a lot when I'm doing like accent patterns on the pad. I make sure the accent is a full like vertical stroke and then the unaccented notes are an inch, a half inch off the pad. I, that's how I practice Agreed. accent tap exercises. I'm actually practicing yeah. accent ghost note patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. When, um, I don't know which teacher of mine it was, but I, I remember very early on being told, make sure they're felt, not heard. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm seven. I don't know what that. <laughs> yeah, like feathering the <laughs> French horn that means. <laughs> <laughs> I almost got too real for a second. Oh, man. Um, and I definitely wouldn't have said that at seven. Um, but yeah, I, but I, I mean, that really stuck with me. And I've always thought that because. I think every drummer in the world has experienced this. You go to a concert and you hear do ga do do ga and then you see the drummer physically playing 9000 notes, but you yeah. only hear those ones. Yeah. And then you think like, okay, this must be like the bass player thing where my friends that aren't musicians don't know that the bass player does anything until I take them into a studio and mute the channel. Yeah. And then they almost fall down and I'm like, yeah, that's what the bass player was doing. Right, right. And they're like, oh, and I kind of wish sometimes I could say, let me mute the ghost notes and you'll realize how empty that groove would have been yeah. without those. You were feeling them. You weren't hearing them. Yeah, good answer. All right, next one is from Evan. He says, I'm a, I'll make sure this is still accurate. Yep, this is very recent. He says, I'm a 40-year-old drummer. Uh, I've been playing and taking lessons for 25 years. I went to music college for a couple of years. Um, but I guess now he's kind of put drumming on the back burner a little bit. He had He's saying, in 12 years, my children will be out of school, and I want to be working on drumming professionally. So my questions are, what can I do networking-wise so I can hit the ground running in 12 years to go on tour? Um, and what can I do to be ready with my skills? And what kind of mental, physical readiness are necessary to thrive as a drummer on a tour? Interesting. Well, that's a that's an episode. It is right? kind of that's a one hour answer. <laughs> um, I would say this: being ready to go on tour that's that's really not up to you. Unfortunately, yeah. that's finding a situation of somebody else that's ready to go on tour, and that's not as easy as you might think. No matter what city you live in, um, so I would say if you want to be able to be in that mix, you're going to have to start gigging now on the local level even if it's only once a month or once every two months you need to start getting networked with the local musicians of your area um, i also think we need to quantify what is a tour sometimes a tour is just you and your buddies decide to take uh, a four-day trip up and down the coast and play some local bars um, that's a lot different than a six-week u.s tour where you're gone from the family and everything and you're, I th- yeah, I think you're really he, doing it. Reading between the lines, he's saying, my kids are going to be gone. I'm going to become a professional drummer and do this. Yeah. Like, go for it. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the tough thing is, is like I said, touring is not something where you go to the local musicians union and sign up for a tour. Yeah. Um, it just takes so much luck and timing and that your odds in that are going to be increased by your networking. The more people you know, the more people that know you as a solid player and that know you as a good person and a reliable person, that's going to increase those odds. Yeah, I would say you probably have a good 
mature adult professional mindset, you might want to consider starting a band and giving yourself the next few years to get it rolling rather than waiting yeah. for someone to come to you and be like, hey, let's hop on a bus and go. I think right. that that is is an impossibility. You're chasing the unicorn, I think. If you think in 12 I years agree. you're going to just hop on a tour bus and do like national touring, I don't totally see how agree. that's possible without spending – I mean, if you move to Nashville right it now, it doesn't matter. It's it's a lottery ticket. Yeah, exactly. So I think you're probably your best with start a band and then build it, build it from the ground yeah. up. You've got you've got a decade to kind of make it something to where you have the support in the audience to then let's go on a regional tour. Let's see what that's all about. Um, yeah, drums, drum skills wise, I think just. I mean, it's, it's just practice. Keep on rolling. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, I mean pra- yeah, exactly. Practice, build your skills, focus on time, and get a mirror. Go down to Home Depot and buy a mirror and put it in front of your drum set. If you want to be a touring slash live drummer, you can't look like a stiff and just count on the fact that you sound good. You have to be able to entertain a crowd. And that doesn't mean stick twirls and yeah. lighten your kick drum on fire. It just means... L- having as you know looking like you're having the time that you are having a great time on the drum set yeah that's about it i mean I, yeah i can't I, again i think tour manager i mean think of all the cool responsibilities that if you took it as your project you could be the one to book the shows you could be the one to have the yeah. band you could be the one to shape the direction of it uh, absolutely I, I would feel there's a much better chance for you to do that than to hop on tour with the next. Well, and then Taylor you're Smith. in, like you said, you're in control of your own destiny. So if you want it, work harder where it is tough to be like, well, I thought somebody would knock on my door today, but they didn't. <laughs> That's never happens. always tomorrow. Never yeah, no. No. Unless, I have a, yeah. I have a business where I leave my door wide open and I play solos all day. No <laughs> one's come in here once. I mean like, Hey, stings outside. He'd like to talk to you. <laughs> I'm sure someone uh, has that kind of an amazing Hollywood story, but of course, yeah, it's not me. Good for them. All right, our last one is from Dave. Uh, what are some things to think about or adjust when you're going to be playing someone else's kit at an open jam or something like that? He says I find the hi hat control and bass drum pedal are usually much different and hard to get used to quickly. Oh, I never change somebody's pedal. I would. Well, I mean, yeah, an open jam, probably not. But if you're playing a house kit, bring your own pedal. That would be the first Oh, absolutely. Thing. Totally. Yeah, if, if it's a jam, I, if, if if I'm sitting in for less songs than the drummer who brought the kit, I'm changing the throne height, and that's about it. Um, if it's a house kit, then, yeah, I bring generally the things that make me feel like myself on the instrument. So I could bring a pedal, and then I'd probably bring, bring one other piece of gear from home that feels like me, either – my snare drum or my ride cymbal. And it's not because I can't play without them. It's just like one little piece of like, this is my kit. I know how this thing reacts and I play it on every two and four. So Yeah. And I think going to open jams, that's kind of the point in the experience is to be uncomfortable. And can you make music with people you never played with before? Can you in a weird room right. and you're playing songs you may not be 100% familiar with? Uh, so that I think you just got to embrace the fact that you're going to be uncomfortable most of the time. I think that's just a fact yeah. most of the time. And in a musical situation, if the bass drum pedal is throwing you off, you're probably playing too many notes. Yeah, it's not going to throw you off if you're just hitting one and three, which is probably all you need to be doing for most of the time. You know, yeah, that's true. If you're like, I can't do my chops, it's like, well, you shouldn't be doing them anyways because there's <laughs> other human beings around you. <laughs> trying to play music oh man but if you know and my house kit setup if i know i'm going to a club that has a, a kit i bring hardware is always in my my car in case i need something to stand or whatever felts 
a pedal, a snare drum, sticks. That's it. And cymbals. Always have cymbals, too. So cymbals, snare drum, pedal, and then hardware just in case whatever they have is junk. Right. And that's it. But, yeah, I mean, I've learned to just embrace the fact that you're just going to be uncomfortable just the way it is. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and like you said, it's part of it, and it it, it helps you grow so that you can just play drums. Sit down and play. Exactly. And there's going to be gigs. I mean, that's that's kind of most of my gigs is show up and play someone else's stuff and don't change anything and make it sound great. That's just yeah. kind of the gig. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, isn't that part of what adds to you as being a professional? If somebody hires you, you sit down and then you spend the first 40 minutes of sound check complaining about the drum set. Yeah. I'm sure it's going to be logged in whoever hired you's mind of like, cool, thanks, drama queen. Like, I just literally need you to play a beat. I right. don't care. So <laughs> I would I would lose my mind if I hired a guitarist and we had a Les Paul for him. And he's like, is this a standard? Oh, yeah. I don't play the Les Paul standard to be like, oh, my God. Are these not EMG pickups? What gauge like, strings dog? are on this thing? Yeah. Yo, what are these nines? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I guess. What are these super slinkies? I don't do Ernie Balls. Oh, man. Like, yeah. I, 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 actually, from a guitar player, I might be able to. I'd be like, yeah, par for the course. But if a bass player said it, I'd be like, tighten it up, kid. You are a bass player. You and me are in the back, and no one cares about either of us. Get over yourself. Just pluck the dang strings. Jeez. No one's going to hear you anyways. They don't even turn you on in the PA. Uh, All right. Let's get to our picks of the week, shall we? I will. You got one? You want me to go first? <laughs> I don't even know why I shouted that. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, this is a pick of the week that I've had in the past, but I'm bringing it back because I just used it today in a different way. And it reminded me how rad it is. Uh, it is the Audio-Technica AT2020 USB, uh, USB-I microphone. And this is a large diaphragm condenser microphone that plugs straight into your iPhone. I've used it in the past for just recording little videos, but what I used it for today was for live streaming. And I was streaming on Instagram Live. I was just streaming my practice. Mm. And I love the fact that I could put this mic over my kit. And I knew that the people that were tuning in to watch me weren't hearing clipping audio coming from my my iPhone. I have the iPhone X, so I have the newest iPhone. I did a quick A and B of the iPhone right next to my kit. And then this microphone, and there was a massive difference. The iPhone did clip. It doesn't do the GoPro thing where it compresses and makes it sound really cool. It actually clipped and was not good audio at all. And then I plugged this in, and it sounded great. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. Then I'll just use this. And uh, so it's $129 on Amazon or wherever you want to buy it. And it's just especially for those people that want to do some live streaming the other thing I would think would be really cool about it is if you want to do some live streaming and talking to the camera, you could have your phone four or five feet away from you, but you could have the microphone right next to your face like you're podcasting, like a talking head thing, and it would be great audio and it wouldn't sound distant mm. or be picking up road noise from closer to where your camera is. So I, I think it's a really cool product. Beat. My pick is, uh, what is the company called? I'm not sure if the company is called Edgeburn Drumsticks. I think the, the, the sticks That's are called... That's what you're using in the demos. Was I? Right? I, I think so. I don't, I'm not sure. Maybe. But okay. Anyway, uh, Ron, he sent me a pair to check out. They're Edgeburn Woodworks, and he, called, he goes by the name Dr. Skin. So he has an Etsy shop. These are sticks where I'm not sure exactly what he's doing. I think he shoots electric charge through the sticks, so it like burns all the sap into these kind of crazy cool looking designs. Oh uh, wow. 
definitely more of a novelty item that I would like a like a gift. Uh, it's not something that I would be wailing on the kit because you can get them, you know, get them personalized, get your name etched into them. Uh, you were totally not using these. Yeah, I don't think so. I would. I think you were using maybe like those uh, Promark flamed. Yeah, out those fire grains, probably. Yep. Yeah. These oh, are these different. are cool. Yeah, these are more like a gift item. And the reason I'm picking them is because I took them, you know, had them in my box of sticks. I always take like random mallets and sticks to my drum lessons with these kids because for whatever reason they get inspired when they see colored sticks and, and different sure. things. These are the ones that everyone just fell in love with. They were like, I want a pair. What do I got to do? Like, what's the website? I want to show my mom. So I think these would be a great gift item if there's a young drummer or just someone in your world that you think would want a pair of personalized, cool-looking sticks. They're, I think the personalized ones are about 32 bucks. Um, yeah. so you go I've ahead. seen this process on wood burning before where the electrical charge just takes the path of least resistance and creates these incredible branchy patterns. Yeah, yeah. It kind of looks like tree limbs. I think he also does it with drum shells and stuff too, but the, the drumsticks are really cool. Um, I like the idea that if you have a young student, you can get them as like a, a birthday present or a Christmas gift and have their name in the sticks, and they're just going to be excited about drumming. So it's, yeah, it's really Etsy.com, cool. and the shop is Dr. Skins, D-R-S-K-I-N-S. Um, check them out. They're all handmade, so it's pretty cool. There you go. All right. Well, everybody, if you can, give us a little review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. We always appreciate that. And Mike and I do read the actual reviews, so you can give us uh, four or five stars if you like the podcast. But please write a review and what you get out of the podcast because we read that and we really appreciate all of that. You can also send more of your listener questions to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. And other than that, I'm about to play my drum set. Not before we check out John Parker's beat. (laughs) I'm, I'm already listening to it. I don't care. Uh, he's got fat beats. <laughs> so this, we're going to close it out with John Parker's groove. He says he recorded it on an old Mapex Orion Classic kit. Um, he used, he's using the mics from that Sabian sound kit along with an Audix i5, I assume, on the snare drum. It's all recorded into Ableton Live, and he's kind of processing it with a bunch of effects. He says the groove was inspired by something f- from Mark Collenberg's new book, The Beat Matrix, which I know we'll have to review at some point in the show. Nice. So let's check it out. Here's John Parker. Let's check it out? Dude, we're out. I mean, let's... This is where we say goodbye to each other. Let's go home. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Oh, here we go. (laughs) Here we go. All right. Goodbye, everybody.